This podcast is brought to you by Harness Racing New South Wales. Harness Racing New South Wales recently introduced a new welfare program known as Mates for Harness, following on from a similar program run by Racing New South Wales for thoroughbred participants. The Mates for Harness program will be operated by a support team based at the Harness Racing New South Wales headquarters in Sydney, assisted by experienced ambassadors based in regional areas. Put simply, Mates for Harness is a peer support initiative empowering mates to look out for mates within the harness racing industry. Psychologists believe the best kind of help a troubled person can get is help provided by peers and colleagues. The Mates for Harness team is led by Education and Welfare Officer Morris Logue. That name rings a bell, you say? And so it should, because Morris is a former successful jockey who competed at the highest level on Sydney tracks for many years. Forced out of the saddle by the lingering after-effects of injury in 1995, he was immediately appointed by the AJC to assist in the setting up of a new training package for the thoroughbred industry. He later spent five years in the role of vocational training advisor for the Department of Education before returning to Racing New South Wales to manage the Education and Welfare Department. Then came 18 months with Racing Queensland and four months with Greyhound Racing New South Wales before moving over to the Harness Code. In the podcast coming up, you'll be hearing about the productive riding career of this former Theo Green protégé. But firstly, let's find out more about Mates for Harness. Morris, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, John. Anxiety levels in the community haven't been helped by the ravages of a pandemic. Thank goodness those who need a mate in harness racing can now find support. Yes, we've been very fortunate. We've been planning to launch this program for quite some time now, before Christmas, in fact, and it gave us the opportunity to be proactive uh, rather than reactive. And reactive, uh, as we've heard in the news lately, uh, is, is something that we don't really want. It's uh, uh, increased suicide and, and all sorts of things. So mm. being being proactive is definitely the way to go. What kinds of health and emotional issues are you and your team prepared to embrace and lend support to? Well, we, we know that there's an increased level of anxiety amongst the community, not just the harness industry, but the wider community. We, we expect that we will be dealing with um, the threat of suicide, um, increased uh, alcohol, uh, domestic violence, uh, and even the possibility of uh, drug abuse. So we, we have systems in place and we have resources in place to deal with those kind of uh, events. You've carefully selected and appointed a team of ambassadors in regional zones across the state. They are people from harness racing backgrounds who were there at any time to support participants who are not coping. Who are the ambassadors, Morris, and where are they based? Yes, well, we start off with the most remote of location, and that being Broken Hill. We have Stevie Robinson out there, uh, who's well known in the industry. Uh, then we, we have Peter Allen based out of um, the Newcastle area. 
Uh, we have uh, Leanne Flower at Tamworth. Mm. Amy Rees is based at Bathurst. Uh, we have uh, Sarah Adams uh, down in the southern area and in the metropolitan area. Uh, we have Darren Binskin, and I'm sure uh, the listeners know all of those names quite mm. well. The ambassadors are not trained psychologists and they don't pretend to be. They are simply there to talk about it. That's correct. They've had some basic um, um, counselling lessons uh, and it's more about uh, them listening, uh, trying to identify uh, where to point the individual to uh, gain the best support and and usually that will result in myself or um, the racing chaplain, Colin Watts, or the sports psychologist, Oliver Brett, being involved. Mm. Now, Colin Watts Jr. is the chaplain for the Australian Racing Christian Chaplaincy, and he's from a very strong harness racing background. He's the son of respected trainer Colin Watts and brother to Graham Watts, another very well-known trainer and driver. So Colin knows the game, knows the industry, and knows the people. He does, and it, it just—it's an added benefit that we were able to uh, uh, get Colin on board. In in fact, um, he was more than willing to come on board. Like all of the ambassadors, uh, they really want to try to make a difference. Also on your team is Oliver Brett, who was a sports psychologist from a company called Veritas, uh, which is a performance psychology consultancy. I think Oliver has already been involved in the thoroughbred industry to some degree, and uh, he's been involved in, in football too, hasn't he, in a couple of codes? He has. Him and his father, uh, Grant Breck, uh, they uh, are involved with the Sydney Swans and also the, uh, the Sydney Roosters uh, and, and also the thoroughbred uh, as well for the jockeys. So they have experience definitely dealing with sportsmen and women, uh, and they come with a lot of experience in that regard. Mates for Harness, fortunately, is recognised as an essential service in the current pandemic, and you and your team and all ambassadors will be allowed to go to the trots uh, in their own areas. They can attend harness racing meetings anywhere in the state if a participant would like to meet them or consult with them at a, an actual trot meeting. That's correct. They'll be there and it's just a matter of um, having that first conversation and, and we'll be there to support them after that. Now, Morris, any participant needing some help can access a dedicated welfare website which offers a, a variety of online resources. What is the website? It's matesforharness.com.au uh, and uh, it's we've, we've deliberately set it up to be a uh, a fit-for-purpose website. So once they go to the website, uh, on the home page, they'll see a resources link. Mm. They click on that tab and it'll bring them, take them straight to the uh, where they need to go. They won't have to mess around looking for it. It'll be very easy to navigate. Now, when you're Googling mates for harness, don't use the word for, F-O-U-R, use the number for, matesforharness.com.au. That's correct. I believe you've had tremendous support from Harness Racing New South Wales CEO John Dumasey and your board in setting up this very important service to the community and the harness racing sport. We, we have. We've had overwhelming support um, from the board and also John. Uh, we all recognise uh, that this 
uh, was well needed um, ahead of the outbreak and unfortunately we'd been that far along establishing it that when the outbreak had occurred, uh, we were in a position to launch the program within a matter of a week. When you started with the Australian Jockey Club in the mid-1990s, one of your early tasks was to develop what you call learning pathways for apprentice jockeys uh, with a view to helping them gain career outcomes. Now, this is a good story, Morris. One of your earliest subjects was a young bloke by the name of Hugh Bowman who was attending Scots College at Waverley. That's correct. Um, Hugh and his parents came to see me. Uh, at that stage, he was riding as an amateur rider uh, on his holidays and he had a burning desire to uh, enter the professional ranks. Um, but he also wanted to continue uh, and, and go and get his HSC. So I had to, um, or collectively, uh, we looked at what would best suit Hugh and I'm a firm believer of family support. Um, it's a tough industry, uh, the racing industry, and if you can have family around you, uh, you're more likely to succeed. Uh, so I was able to negotiate Hugh at getting a transfer from Waverley to Scots College at Bathurst, mm. um, where uh, his parents only live up the road at Dunny Doo. Yeah. Um, and with the with the assistance of the local steward there, Shane Cullen, we got him a very good um, uh, placement there with Leanne Aspros and the champion jockey of uh, that era, mm. uh, Bill Aspros. So it was a very good outcome. When you were booting home Group 1 winners like Lord Seaman and Roman Artist, you would never have dreamed that in subsequent years you'd be working for famous institutions like the Department of Education. Would have never dreamt it in a million years, John. I, um, <laughs> I uh, left school at 14 and, um, and I found myself, and it's, it's something that I would uh, explain uh, expressed to anybody out there considering leaving school early would be not to. Mm. Uh, it's a lot easier to get through the schooling the first time. When I had to go back to school after I retired, it's uh, it's a lot harder the second time round. But um, I did go on to work for the education department. You're a country bumpkin. You were born and reared in Dubbo. Your dad Ian, who was known as Doc, was a jockey. Your mum Leslie was a trainer. And your brother Nelson also became a jockey but had to retire through injury at just 27. Now, you were riding work at age 11, Morris. Obviously, that, the officials turned a blind eye. That's correct. I um, uh, was able to go out there and ride a quiet horse work alongside my father and it was only a matter of 12 months' time and, and then I uh, secured a, a, a job uh, morning job working for uh, Digger Scott and Albert Orble was his main owner, mm. uh, riding track work for him for $5 a week. So it wasn't <laughs> a lot of money, but I'd have done it for free anyway. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. Not that you ever told them that. <laughs> no, that's right. Digger Scott was a, a great all-round horseman, wasn't he? And uh, this is where you learned that there was a lot more to horses than just jumping on their backs. That, that's right. My, my father and partly the reason for his nickname, Doc, he was always looking to uh, uh, do his own veterinary work and um, I was taught how to tube a horse, ball a horse, do their teeth mm. and basic basic farriery mm. uh, at a very young age. And I don't think that those skills 
go to waste. That you, you learn a lot more about the horse than what you do simply by riding them. Mm. You reckon you could tack a set of shoes onto a horse in this day and age? Well, I, I don't know whether they'd stay on, but I could uh, probably have a bit of a go at it. <laughs> You'd get them on. I'd get them on, yeah. yeah. Around 1975, your mum became concerned that your education was suffering because you were spending too much time around horses. So she enrolled you at the All Saints College at Bathurst, where you became a boarder, you lived in, and you seem to really appreciate that chapter in your life looking back. I, I do, and it was definitely the right move. I, I had too many distractions outside of school and I resented going to school. I'd much rather be around the horses. And once I had to focus on my schoolwork, it, it uh, picked up and I... Um, I don't know, had I been able to stay at school, whether I would have um, gone down the, the pathway of being a jockey or not because I quite enjoyed wool classing, mm. which was a subject that was taught at Bathurst. Mm. Your dad was getting regular rides around the Central West, but he had to supplement his earnings with a second job, driving a tipping truck for the DMR, the Department of Main Roads. He sat in his truck one morning, Morris, to watch you work a horse while you were home on school holidays he waved goodbye and then drove off to a job that he had for the DMR and you never saw him again. No, I didn't. He, um, um, he said goodbye and the last words he said to me, I was riding a mare called Astrid Queen, mm. um, riding her work and I, I was coming off the track and his, his exact last words were, you rode her well and that's the, that's the last time we spoke. He was involved in an accident at Wellington, I think, later that day. He was, yes. It was um, sometime after lunch and um, it's, it's one of those things, unfortunately, you, you never forget and um, he, he never came home and uh, it's one of those things. Your mum simply couldn't afford the cost of keeping you at All Saints College, so you had to switch to the Dubbo High School where your life became a misery. You were subjected to that insidious scourge called bullying. It's been around since time immemorial, Morris, and it is such an unkind, unfair, unthinkable failing of humanity. You had to toughen up pretty early in life, didn't you? I, I did. It was one of well, uh, my first race ride I had it, uh, I was 41 kilos, and so you can imagine a, a two or three years before that, I wasn't um, 41 kilos. I, was, I would have been under 40 kilos, mm. uh, and there were some large boys in the school and they used to follow me about and um, made my life uh, somewhat hard. So you did something about it. You left at I age did. 14 and, and you quickly got a full-time job complete with board and lodgings with local trainer Pat Finn. Pat came along at exactly the right time in your life. He did, and again, um, I'm very thankful for the stewards out there. They they turned a blind eye to me working full-time at only the age of 14. Uh, Pat Berry was the steward there at the time, and um, um, Pat Finn was fantastic to me and, and helped me. Uh, uh, well, I wouldn't have been able to leave school had I not had a full-time job, and, mm. the, uh, and, and that really helped out at a time where I was lost. On the 10th of June, 1997, young Morris Logue turned 15 and soon after you got the luckiest break of your working life 
when you gained an indentureship to the legendary Theo Green in Sydney. And I think it was Pat Berry, the steward, and Peter Millard, a trainer friend of his from the North Coast, who drove you down to Clear Day Lodge at Randwick. What did you know about Theo at this time? Well, I I knew that he was um, uh, touted as the best mentor for jockeys in Australia. Um, I didn't really know a lot more than that. I knew his uh, leading apprentice at the time was Malcolm Johnston. Mm. Um, it was one of one of the things that we did regularly was listen to the ABC radio of a Saturday and listen to the races. If I wasn't at the races, scrapping. Mm. Um, so I was quite aware that uh, he was a, a, a big name in the industry. I just didn't realise how big until obviously I started there. Mm. Theo's second apprentice was David Green, who was destined to lose his life in a race fall a couple of years later. Now, Theo had a system in place, Morris, which he called peer learning. Malcolm Johnston would tutor David Green, David Green would tutor Morris Logue, and after a while you would tutor the next couple of kids to come along. Who did you tutor? Uh, James Innes was uh, there not long after I started, and, and Darren Beedman at one stage as well, but Darren wasn't there for, well, I think he may have been there for about 12 months whilst I was there, mm. um, uh, and, and that was the system he had, and it worked quite well. Theo Green was very different uh, to those old-time horse trainers of that era and earlier who worked little kids excessive hours. He would closely monitor the way you were handling the workload and he'd do something about it if he thought you were tired. He would. If he thought we were a little bit jaded, um, he would definitely give us a, an early morning uh, so that we could go go inside and have a little bit of a sleep and be prepared to uh, uh, ride at the races that afternoon. Mm. Just to illustrate the substance of this man, Theo Green, Tell me the story about the apprentice who developed a heroin habit. What did yeah, he was, do? Mm. Yeah, he was a he was a stable hand, um, and, and obviously I'm not going to name him, but he was a stable mm. hand, and he was um, he, he came about the same time I entered the stables, and he would have been there probably three years, and a, quite a good worker and quite a good with the horses, but he developed a heroin addict, mm. um, and Theo sat down with him and uh, was able to to uh, get him into a rehabilitation centre and promised him that if he was able to kick the habit, mm. uh, that once he did that, that he would have his uh, have his job back. And he true to his word, 12 months after um, he kicked the habit, uh, he was back at Theo's working. What was the cliche you were telling me about that Theo would use to describe the way of the future for his boys? He had a, a set cliche to illustrate well, a point. Yes, well, uh, he was. He'd say things that were really would hit home. You you didn't have to be a road scholar to get the point. Um, he'd make it as clear as anything for you. And the, his favourite saying to me um, was that we can't all be Malcolm Johnston, but we can all be good citizens. And he'd say that repetitively uh, over the course of um, the month. Yeah, and you've never forgotten it. No, I haven't. Morris, we'll just pause for a moment to clear a commitment on the podcast. Back in just a moment with Morris Lowe. Harness Racing New South Wales has established a much-needed initiative 
to help harness racing participants who are struggling with personal issues through these tough times. It's called Mates for Harness and it offers a helping hand to anybody struggling with the ravages of drug or alcohol abuse, domestic violence or mental illness. Mates for Harness is there for anybody needing a helping hand. The support group is headed up by the very experienced Morris Logue, Chaplain Colin Watts and a sports psychologist Oliver Britt. Ambassadors are on standby all over the state. In the metro area, it's Darren Binskin. The Hunter, Peter Allen. The Northwest, Leanne Flower. The Western District's Amy Reese. The Riverina, Seren Adams. And the Far West, Steve and Marie Robinson. If you need to talk to somebody, Mates for Harness can help. www.matesforharness.com.au or ring Morris Logue on 0400-984-193. You don't need to be alone. Talk it over with a mate. It took you 46 rides to land your first winner, and strangely, it wasn't trained by Theo. You really made a statement on this particular day, Morris. It was at Warwick Farm, it was a Saturday race meeting, and you won on Peaceful Rhapsody, for the late George Musson, a very clever Rose Hill trainer. That's correct. I um, was able to pick the ride up uh, later in the week. Uh, the apprentice that he had booked for the horse uh, wasn't going to be able to, to make the weight, so I was fortunate I picked the ride up. Um, and I can still remember it like it was yesterday. She jumped from a wide barrier but was able to, was from the old 1,400-metre start there at Warwick Farm, mm. and she was able to uh, get in a really lovely trailing position uh, just behind the speed, one off the fence, and um, she was never going to get beat. She was always going to win. Mm. You thought you were G. Moore, didn't you? I did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> in 1980, you were on a real roll, riding doubles and trebles everywhere, but you didn't feel well. You were listless, uh, you were lethargic, and eventually Theo sent you for a blood test. Now, before <laughs> getting the results of the blood test, however, you went to a Randwick meeting where you had five rides and four of them won. You couldn't have been too crook. No, it's, uh, it's one of those things, and I, I can recall going to the races. I, I'd um, been booked for six rides, and... What I thought was my best ride was a horse for Ray Guy. It was in the first race, and it was scratched. Mm. Um, so I went there thinking that um, I had some some chances. Um, the first one ran last, and then the rest of them they just they they kept winning easier as the day went on. Mm. What the first one I won on was a horse for Bob and Jack Ingham called Gun Glory. Yeah. It won in a uh, developed print, and they just got easier to let. Till I think the last race I won on a horse called Bryn DC, and I think it won by about eight lengths. It oh, just never yeah. got off the bid. And your confidence was sky high by the last one. It was, most <laughs> definitely. You were horrified when you rang the doctor to get the result of that blood test. Yes, unfortunately, um, unbeknownst to me, but I'd come in contact with somebody that had had glandular fever. It's... Uh, uh, one of those types of diseases that spreads quite easily amongst people and um, mm. uh, I'd contracted glandular fever and uh, I, I was told that I, I couldn't ride because part of the, the disease is your spleen enlarges and it's it's quite dangerous if you get a, a bump 
the wrong way that you can bleed out and you can and and you can die. So obviously, riding in a race wasn't going to uh, I wasn't going to be able to continue that. So I had to stand down from uh, my riding commitment. Well, you stood down the following Saturday at Rose Hill, where you had a good book, and that turned out to be one of the saddest days of your life. It, it did. Um, um, David Green, my my roommate, uh, went to the races. He 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 rode a winner for Doctor Chapman. Uh, time to fly from memory, and uh, unfortunately, he he uh, fell. Uh, I think it was in the next race, and um, he he just never made it to hospital. He was pronounced dead on the track. Mm. You enjoyed a marvelous apprenticeship, outriding your city claim in three years. But even after you lost the claim, there was still no shortage of rides. Theo Green was never afraid to put his kids on in black type races, was he, Morris? And he gave you a terrific opportunity on a little mare called Shea Bisque in the 1981 Hobartville Stakes. You got the job done. You beat a very good horse called Sovereign Red, trained by the late Jeff Murphy. And there's a funny story to come out of that win. There, There is for sure. One of the things that he was very good at was um, getting getting us um, or getting all of his apprentices to to ride in those black type races with no pressure. So I'd had a, a lot of experience in the black type races before I'd actually um, been placed on Shea Bisc, who started favourite. Mm. Um, and it was it was a matter of going out there, getting the job done. And she was only very a small little filly. Mm. She would, should have been 15 hands at best. Uh, and... Uh, Sovereign Red was a monster, and I can recall topping the rise, and I had a lap full of horse, and there was only one horse in my way, and I had to push it out of the road, mm. and that was Sovereign Red. Um, it was a Victorian horse ridden by a Victorian jockey. Mm. Uh, Jeff Murphy trained him, mm. and I uh, pushed him out and, and went on and won the race. He ran second, mm. and I'll, I'll always recall coming back to the enclosure and uh, um Jeff Murphy, who'd been known to get angry when you get beat on one, he was um, voicing his displeasure with the jockey, saying, "How could he let a little uh, a kid on a little pony push him out of the road?" <laughs> well, it's um, that's what happened. But he, uh, some a uh, few weeks later, um, he had three runners in at Rose Hill in another black type race, yeah. uh, and he put me on the third pick, and I I must have must have. He must have forgiven me because um, I, I ended up winning on that horse and uh, yeah. he was very pleased with the result. You can't remember the name of the horse? I, I can't. I can't even remember the name of the, the race, but it was definitely yeah. a black type race. All right. We'll look it up down the track. I'll let you know. Morris, we're going to bring the curtain down on segment one of our podcast. And uh, when we come back very shortly, we're going to talk about the greatest disappointment of your racing career, but it's very much a part of the Morris Logue story and, as they say in the classics, it made you a better person. Back with Morris Logue in just one click. Harness Racing New South Wales has established a much-needed initiative to help harness racing participants who are struggling with personal issues through these tough times. It's called Mates for Harness, and it offers a helping hand to anybody struggling with the ravages of drug or alcohol abuse, domestic violence or mental illness. Mates for Harness is there for anybody needing a helping hand. 
The support group is headed up by the very experienced Morris Logue, Chaplain Colin Watts, and the sports psychologist Oliver Britt. Ambassadors are on standby all over the state. In the metro area, it's Darren Binskin. The Hunter, Peter Allen. The Northwest, Leanne Flower. The Western Districts, Amy Reese. The Riverina, Seren Adams. And the Far West, Steve and Marie Robinson. If you need to talk to somebody, Mates for Harness can help. www.matesforharness.com.au or ring Morris Logue on 0400-984-193. You don't need to be alone. Talk it over with a mate.